0: Amen. amen. And so, yes, it is here. It is finally here. It is Christmas time. It is time for presents, right? Isn't that what Christmas is all about? Presents? Getting gifts? No? Well, let me tell you a story that I teased not too long ago. It it comes from when I was between 8 and 10 years old, and my father was kind of a oops, baby, conceived in love, but, you know, almost a decade after his only other sister who was born, I think, in 1920 or so, and and I, myself, stand here before you as a proud oops, baby, conceived in love more than a decade younger than my siblings, and so what that meant was, for my entire childhood, I was the only child that was present for all these family gatherings, which usually was a bummer, except for at Christmas, because everyone wanted to give the child a gift. They didn't really care about the ones that were older and already out of the house. And so we had this tradition where my Aunt Barbara, my dad's big sister, and her husband, my Uncle Bill, uh, we would go there for Thanksgiving and they'd come here for Christmas. Or, they would, or, or we would go there for Christmas and they would come to us for Thanksgiving. And the, the year that I remember was at our house. And it's agonizing to be a child and have to wait For your elderly relatives to drive up from Chicago, Illinois. It's just agony. Those those presents are just mocking, taunting, right? And so I was sitting by the, the front window just waiting for Uncle Bill's car to make it. You know, it was 55 miles an hour back then. The roads weren't like they are now. And Finally, Uncle Bill's car comes in, I'm so excited, and he pops the trunk, and he goes around, and he opens up the door for Aunt Barbara, and he opens up the door for my great-aunt Miriam, and, you know, as an eight-year-old, great-aunt Miriam appeared to be somewhere around 183 years old. <laughs> And they came into the house, and you know how that is. There's the mandatory give your auntie a kiss, and you know, oh my, you've gotten taller, and they, they squeeze your cheek, and okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the gifts, the gifts, the gifts. And so finally, Uncle Bill, all the pleasantries were exchanged, and finally Uncle Bill goes out to the car, which the trunk had been popped, and apparently, in the amount of time it took for them to walk in to hug and kiss and do other pleasantries. Somebody had come through and cleaned out the entire trunk of all the gifts. Now, this was a problem for me, very much a problem for me. You see, um, my Aunt Barbara worked at Sears, downtown Chicago. She had a great job, and she was a great gift giver. And she lived to be almost 100, and she was still a phenomenal gift giver for my two daughters when they were little, And every year, I used to get the the big Sears catalog. Remember that big Sears catalog? And and I think that Sears catalog had more pages than the Madison phone book, where I was growing up in Madison. And if that doesn't make me sound old, I don't know what would, talking about a catalog and a phone book. Well, Uncle Bill came in, and uh, he was using some language that um, I think we would call colorful. Something like a sailor, uh, but that makes sense because he was a sailor. He spent World War II in the South Pacific, but I was bummed. And so I kept looking out the window, waiting for the Grinch and his dog Max to come riding in with all the gifts back, but it never happened. And so you would think that Christmas was ruined. You would think it was the year without Santa Claus. But no, Christmas still happened. We still celebrated the birth Of Emmanuel, Christmas. And we are still worshiping and celebrating this more than 2,000 years later the Christ Mass, the celebration of the incarnate one who comes to remind us that we are never alone, that God is with us. But today is not a day for persuasion, today is a day for proclamation. And so that's what we're trying to do. And I think you're really going to like something that I read in my research for my sermon today. Here's what I read. I, I want to read it so I don't mess it up because I think you're really going to like it. It says, Christmas Eve worship services are not a time for lengthy sermons or wordy theological analysis. Hey, oh, hey. For those of you at home, somebody just proclaimed amen. But it... it The next part actually may be even sweeter sounding to your ears. On this occasion, less from the preacher may in fact be more. Can I get an overall amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so service is over. Go home in peace. (laughs) No, no, we are reminded this day about hope and peace and joy and love. Those are the candles that we lit throughout the month of December. We are reminded that we are welcomed home. This Christ child is welcomed home. We're all home together. The angels sing. The shepherds kneel. People have worshiped on this evening for thousands of years. And right here on December 24, 2001 at 819 East Silver Spring, we are home again. Tonight, we are not alone. God is with us. Pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He came to be with us that we may find our home in him. And so we gather tonight, one of the longest nights of the year, and we remember these gifts, these gifts. We shrug off despair and to embrace hope. We set aside conflict to choose peace. We push away despair, claiming joy, and we overcome hatred. By rising into love, we gather together in the night to proclaim the light. And as we gather here today, we know that even in the shadows of our doubts, that we are loved. And love is a part of what home really is. Home is not where we're born. Home is maybe not even where we lay our our heads at night. Home is where we stand. Home is where we stand, it's what we stand for, it's who we stand with, and today we stand with God with us, Emmanuel. And so these four candles on this wreath represent four of the greatest gifts that anyone could ever receive, the gift of hope, which is stronger than wishing, the gift of peace, which is the absence of fear, the gift of joy, which is good news for all people, and the gift of love. There is no blessing greater Than the blessing of love, God is love, but the greatest gift is yet to be lit. The greatest gift is Emmanuel, the Christ child, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Home is where love is, where everlasting peace is, where there is hope, where there is security, where Christ is, there is home. And you can never truly experience home until you have Christ in your heart. And when Christ takes up residence in your heart, you will know that you have a wonderful place to be throughout eternity. That's the promise that was given to our our ancestors. And the promise that's going to be given to our predecessors. The psalmist says, Lord, through all generations, you have been our home and when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he lets us know that, that this body, this, this shell that is the home to our, to our soul, to our spirit here on earth, when it's gone, there's going to be a home for us built in heaven with hands that are eternal. And so we gather together today on yet another Christmas Eve to hear the story of light and of love that overcomes the darkness. Now, we heard Luke's telling of the Christmas story this year. That's, that's the text that we have for us. And we know that Matthew and Luke are the two gospels that really give us the story of Christmas. And we know that they're very, very similar, and yet there are certain things that are different. They want to emphasize certain things. How many of you have a crush scene or nativity scene at your house somewhere? There's a beautiful one at the feet of Jesus in the narthex there. And those crush scenes, they always have both the shepherds and the wise men and the angels but that's really not how it plays out in the scriptures. They emphasize different things intentionally. For Matthew, there are the three kings, the wise men, the magi bearing their gifts. And what, what their gifts represent is of great value. It is for royalty. And so they brought the gift of gold. Gold was valuable then. Gold is valuable now. Although I did hear something fantastic this week. Uh, Mr. Neal uh, shared it with me. He read a story or he heard something that said, um, packages of unopened Lego sets are appreciating faster than gold. <laughs> but what little kid wants to be given a fantastic Lego set and never open it, being told, oh, it's going to get increased in value? No, gold. Gold for royalty. Uh, frankincense, the burning of frankincense, which, is, which sets the worship scene. He needs to be worshiped. And finally, myrrh, that key ingredient for anointing and for preparing bodies, ultimately for burial, this Christ child is going to give his life for us. But that Luke doesn't seem concerned with that. Luke isn't impressed with the hoity-toity visitors and the expensive gifts. Luke's story, Luke's account is something completely different. Dirty shepherds to whom the angels sing... Luke's entire goal, his stated goal in writing his gospel is to give an orderly account. And so notice Luke doesn't say in a land far, far away in a time long, long ago. No, Luke says in those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor in Syria. This points to a very specific time in history and God locates God's self in humanity that blows people away. Modern humans would think if God is going to reveal God's self, it would be done through universal truths and principles. Not in specific times and places in history. But that is what Luke has given us. One might expect Luke to play up that there would be more dignified people who are coming around, but no, it's the lowly. People who are deemed unclean. People whose voice did not count would not even be used. They were not even eligible for a court of law. No, Luke makes it clear that, yes, rich and poor alike are cared for. But it's these shepherds in the field. They hear the angels sing, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And so the shepherds leave their flocks, and they're summoned to the cradle, and there they kneel down and they worship. The first visitors, as Luke tells it, are the ordinary, the plain, the people of the earth. And the Savior spends his first hours on earth with the exact ones that he came to seek and to save. And the shepherds can't keep it to themselves. They just proclaim it as they go out. The grace of God sneaks into our world under the radar of religious expectations to real men, to real women. No persuasion is needed. This incredible present must simply be proclaimed. Less is more. Now, some of you may be saying, okay, preacher, you're on the long side of less already. And so I want to just tell you one story, just one story. My wife and I have two daughters. Abigail and Naomi. And Abigail uh, is a public school teacher in the West Bend School District, elementary education. And uh, she, of course, had to major in that, but she chose a minor in theater. She and her sister loved to do all the plays and the musicals at high school, that she just loved the stage. And for her to to have this minor in theater at college was a wonderful opportunity for her to, to really continue to do that, what she was passionate about, to learn even more about the craft, and Janet and I, who just loved to go and see their performances in high school, we would make a date out of it, and we would drive to, to Madison, and we would go and see her shows, and, and even the ones that were risque didn't really bother me. There was one show where it seemed like all she was doing on stage was kissing guys, and uh, that didn't bother me at all, although her boyfriend, who was sitting right next to me, he was paying very close attention <laughs> to what was going on there to see if she was acting or not. Well, as you know, with that college community, some incredible things happen. I know many of you went to schools where there was a J term, you know, that period in January between the the fall semester and the spring semester where you can get a couple of credits. And the theater department went to London, and she got to spend 10 days, two weeks maybe, in London at the West End, which is like their Broadway uh, section. And and she got to talk with playwrights and and meet actors and go behind the stage and, and look at the tech unit. It was phenomenal. But, you know, when you grow up and you graduate from college and you get a real job, sometimes certain things that you used to be able to do because time afforded it, you you can't. And so she hadn't done any theater. And so she called my wife or texted my wife and let us know that that she was going to be a part of a a community theater production this year. And and Janet and I were so excited, you know, one, because we know she loves to do that. We know she has a gift for it, and we knew how how happy that would make her. Plus, that gave us an excuse for another date night to see her on stage. Now, the production was a a show that maybe many of you have seen, The Greatest Christmas Pageant Ever, although some troops call it the worst Christmas pageant ever. Have you ever seen, any of you seen that? that And it, the premise is this, there is a, a church children's production, you know, they're a big Christmas show, and, and they have decades and decades of history, and yet everything's going to be different this year, and we know that any children's show, whether at school, in community theater, or at church, is chaos. Can I get an amen, Neil? Where's Neil? Amen. He's up in the balcony. He says, you know... We, the our children's pageant that we had here at, at 4 o'clock, the sanctuary was packed, but it was chaos. It was a zoo, and people who were going to show up didn't show up, and it was just, you know, it was like herding cats. <laughs> now, my daughter's role, and this is poetic justice in this show, was she was one of the old church ladies that said, we know how to do it the right way. And so she grew up in church her whole life. She's had a lot of inspiration to draw her character, her character from. But in this show, there is a family. They're a dirty family. They're a poor family. They're kind of the family that looks, is looked down upon. The kids are all rough and tumble and wild, and their name are the Herdmans. Herdman, and that's a, a wonderful name. Kind of reminds me of kind of a, a shepherd. And the Herdman uh, children, through force, through uh, pressure, uh, they, they secure for themselves all the greatest parts. And when the show is going on, it is absolute chaos. And the youngest Herdman child had the role of the angel and throughout out all the noise and through all the chaos, suddenly comes this little voice that says, hey, unto you a child is born. Kind of the end. Hey, unto us, unto you, a child is born. There's no persuasion there. That is proclamation. And thankfully, the good news of this night can still cut through the noise of our distracted culture, with our restless souls. Emmanuel, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. He came to dwell with us, that we might be find our home in him. So yes, Christ is our home. Christ is our home that no fire can burn, that cancer cannot snatch. No storm can shake, nor abuse, torment, nor loneliness touch. In a home where the adversary can never come near. And so, as we sang earlier, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. Amen.